Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Hello, good morning. Welcome to church wherever you are at. So good to see you this morning. Glad you showed up. Well, this is a week three of our online church gathering, worship service kind of experience. And this is our third week doing it and uh, we're still making improvements, but I hope that uh, you have been blessed uh, by uh, all that we have done. And uh, we're really um, trying to make every effort and uh, trying to do our best here to make sure that our church remains connected, both uh, with the, the service, you know, with worship, with the word, we're trying to up our pastoral care in the meantime as well, just to make sure that our entire family remains intact through this crazy, interesting, challenging, but we also really believe uh, formative period. Now, uh, just to clue in on some of the plans here. Um, so based on the current measures uh, that's implemented by the government, we expect this kind of online gathering experience to go on for quite a while, uh, possibly until the end of June, which is to say that we have at least 12 more of uh, this kind of services that we will have before hopefully we will come back into the hall that we all love and we are worshipping together once again. And so a few things uh, to note uh, even as we do that. Next week we will be celebrating Easter together and so our ask is uh, you would uh, beforehand prepare uh, the communion elements. We will take some time during our Easter service. We'll make it meaningful, make it really special. Uh, but we'll, we'll of course be taking communion together on Easter Sunday. So I want to encourage you to prepare the elements beforehand. That may look like some bread, some crackers, uh, and of course some grape juice or wine. Or you can pick up one of those like little pre-packed uh, communion cups uh, they can pick up from any Christian bookstore. And so I want to encourage you to do that and engage with the time of communion uh, next week. Um, along with that, you know, we kind of hope that this experience has been good, that you have uh, really enjoyed it. But at the same time, you know, it's kind of a mixed feelings, right? You know, we want you to be comfortable and enjoy it, but at the same time to pine and to have this anticipation in you for when we come back together. And so I want to encourage you, even this moment, even as you're comfortable in your own home, to do your best to engage with the service, to engage with all that is going on around here. That means, you know, in the times of worship, you're standing up, you're lifting your hands, you're doing all the things you would on a typical Sunday morning. In the times of the Word, you are engaged, your phone's put away, you have your Bibles out, your notepads out, you are engaging with whatever is being taught, and you are, in fact, being the church wherever you're at. And this is the whole idea here, right? While we're disconnected, while we're not gathering together as one church in a physical location called church, we are, in fact, scattered and being the church all over the nation. So this is something that we get to do and step into as a community. So I encourage you to seize this opportunity to take hold of it. We have 12 more weeks of this, hopefully, and I'm so looking forward to seeing you again, giving you a hug, shaking your hands, and worshipping our King together. Well, I have a word for you this morning. Will you bow your heads and join me in prayer even as we begin our time uh, diving into God's Word together? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity as always. Uh, that we get to spend time in your word. God, we thank you for your word that speaks to us wherever we're at. Lord, we thank you for the holy scriptures that has been entrusted to your church. 
your words, O oh God, that is brimming, that is full of life, that isn't just a study exercise, but it is a moment in time where we get to encounter you and experience you. And God, we ask even as your word is being taught and preached today, Lord, that hearts would encounter your very person. Jesus, we thank you for your person that is present in all the rooms that we're in, in our houses, in the living rooms, wherever we're at. Jesus, you're present. And God, our hearts respond to your holy invitation to meet with you. God, we ask that you have your way with us even as we dive into your word this morning. We thank you for this great grace and privilege. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, um, it's interesting. You know, I, I read an op-ed piece for the New York Times uh, just this week, and it says this, uh, the columnist said that this year, 2020, is the year of the introvert. Now, as an introvert myself, uh, this is really exciting, right? It's my year, finally my year, you know, and I'm sure many of you are well aware that much of the way culture is built and much of the way the systems of the world function is really very extrovert-friendly. You know, you have like group projects, you have like uh, opinions being shared over meeting rooms, and this is the year of the introvert, right? With like all these social distancing measures, and that equates to a lot more time spent at home, uh, less social events, not so much parties, less of that, a lot of time in the quiet. And so, you know, in many ways, uh, the introvert in me just rejoices because, you know, there's so much time in the quiet, not so much interactions, and I really, really love it. Now, there's a popular article making its rounds about Sir Isaac Newton. I'm sure many of you have seen it. But Isaac Newton, when he was in his 20s, the great plague of London uh, hit wherever he was, and he had to spend some time away from school. Cambridge uh, sent all their students home uh, to continue the studies, and you may say that that was like an earlier... Uh, beta version of what we experience now as social distancing. Now, without his professors there to guide him, Newton apparently thrived, right? The year plus he spent away was later referred to as the year of wonders. While he was away, while he was alone, he invented calculus. Some of you might find that really impressive. Some of you might just hate the guy for inventing calculus. Uh, he developed his theory on optics. Uh, he acquired a few prisms and experimented experimented on it and he developed his theory on optics and legend has it that in that time that he was away from school he sat under that fateful apple tree and that was when he discovered and developed his understanding on gravity and the law of motion it wasn't just newton but william shakespeare we were told wrote some of his best poems and plays during a time of plague during a time of distancing and isolation he penned king lear macbeth and Anthony and Cleopatra. Quiet, solitude, time and space, something that I'm sure many of us are beginning to get really familiar with now with all these distancing measures, with a lot of time spent at home. Quiet, solitude, space can be a really fantastic thing for innovation, for insight and for discovery. But at the same time, it can also prove to be really treacherous and menacing in many ways. Now, I think of the story of King David. It says this in scripture that in the year where kings went out to battle, David stayed back in the palace. And it was in that moment where he chose to hang back alone, away from his armies, that he fell into sin with Bathsheba. In a recent article on the Straits Times, experts expressed their concerns of the widespread toll on mental health that is produced by this thing of social distancing and isolation. 
There are also alarming statistics that were recently published by the pornographic site Pornhub, which also recently, which also has been recently linked to crimes of sex trafficking. Singapore's traffic on that porn site went up by 8.5% in recent times. Pornhub recently made free premium subscriptions to Italy and traffic jumped by a whopping 57% as compared to an average day. The statistics uh, the company wrote clearly illustrate that people all over Europe were happy to have distractions while quarantined at home. Now, it isn't just these concerning statistics that have surfaced, but in many parts of the world, reports of domestic abuse have been on the rise as well. The Australian government has just announced a nearly $100 million boost in funding to tackle domestic abuse after support services reported a spike in coronavirus-related family abuse. Now, many are defaulting into escapist, dysfunctional behaviours in this time. Whether it is binging on whatever limited entertainment options are left with, or defaulting to dysfunctional and at times violent patterns. In many ways, this moment in time feels like a pressure cooker, a furnace kind of situation where we are experiencing pressure on every side. The heat is being turned up. We are uncomfortable. And in many ways, it's because of the virus and all the pain and inconveniences that it has brought. But I also believe that this is a challenging time for many of us because for the first time in a long while, we are without our tightly packed schedules without our copious amount of social interactions, without entertainment, and instead of traveling and wanderlusting, we are cooped up at home. We now have to deal with the quiet, being alone, and for many of you, feelings of isolation as well. Simply put, we don't know how to be alone. We don't know how to be alone. And while we have spoken extensively on the downside of loneliness and all that it brings, being alone is an entirely different thing. You can be in a room full of people, yet struggle with loneliness. And that is to say also that you can be alone and not be lonely. And I'll argue to say that being alone is by far one of the most formative experiences we can have as a human being. And I'm making the case today not from the point of, not from the example of Newton or Shakespeare, but from the life and teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. Let me read to you today's scripture from Luke chapter 5, verse 15 to 16. It says this, Yet the news about him, Jesus, spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and pray. Today, I would like to speak to you on the subject of the gift of isolation. The gift of isolation. Henry Nouwen, a Catholic thinker and someone that we really love and all too familiar with, Henry Nouwen says this about solitude, about isolation. He says this, Solitude is not a private therapeutic place. Rather, it is the place of conversion, the place where the old self dies and the new self is born the place where the emergence of the new man and the new woman occurs. Solitude, he says, is the furnace of transformation. That's what's happening now. We are going through a furnace experience where there's pressure on all sides, where the heat is being turned up. But it's a furnace not what that is one of punishment, but it's that of transformation. As the heat is being turned up, 
impurities rise to the surface and God in His mercy and kindness skims it off of us until His image is reflected in us. It's interesting that we're experiencing all that we're experiencing in this season of Lent, right? We're celebrating Good Friday, Easter Sunday next weekend. The Lenten season is one where people commonly give up pleasure for the sake of prayer and experiencing more of the presence of God. Now, whether you regularly practice Lent, uh, observe the Lenten season or not, you may say that all of us, all of humanity, is in somewhat of a Lenten season now, where we are practicing abstinence from life as we know it, from regular life. We are in Lent in this moment. We're giving up pleasure, whether voluntarily or involuntarily. And this can be a moment, an opportune time for us to give up pleasure for the sake of prayer and experiencing God's presence. In Luke chapter 5, it says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. Now that word lonely places, places is a singular word in the Greek and it's the word aremos. Say it with me. Aremos. Thank you so much. Now it can be translated in many ways. It can be translated as the deserted place the desolate place, the solitary place, the lonely place, the quiet place, kind of like the movie, and also the desert or the wilderness. Now, in many ways, we can look at this season that we're all in right now, where all the entertainment options are closed. You no longer have your movies, your bars to go to, or your arcades, if you're still into that, where social interactions are limited, where you aren't hanging out as much with people, you aren't having parties, you are for the most part homebound, where it just feels like everything is quiet. And we can view this time in many ways as somewhat of an involuntary wilderness experience, where we're made to stay home, slow down, and be at rest. Now, I was reminded of a book called The Journey of Israel by Dr. Brian Bailey. Now, this is a book that many of us would have read growing up and this is a book that was quite literally the first christian book i own aside from the bible now the basic premise of the book is this that all of us at some point in our life will go through a wilderness experience and this wilderness experience it's a time of testing and hardship it is formative deep painful and a necessary aspect of spiritual growth and maturity and I do believe that all of us need to rediscover a theology of wilderness. That at some point in our life, we will go through testing, hardship, pain. A furnace experience, if you will. But then we will emerge on the other side. Mature, in many ways whole, healthy, loving the Lord. Now let us look at a couple more passages about Jesus his life and his interaction with what we know to be the Aramos, this quiet, solitary place, a wilderness experience, and talk about how he conducted himself in these moments and what happened and what was born in these moments. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. It says this about Jesus. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. That word is Aramos, into the Aramos to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. It's interesting for you if, you, if you're into the stuff like that, but if you look up the word quarantine, 
in uh, the Merriam-Webster's dictionary, uh, you'll realize that the origin of the word quarantine actually came, comes from the French word quarantine, which was borrowed in the late 1400s with the meaning a period of 40 days, which was tied to a biblical reference to Jesus and a period of time he spent fasting in the desert. And so you can actually say that the word quarantine, this thing that we're all made to do now, is actually tied and finds its roots in this passage, in this story that we just read. Notice that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, to be tempted by evil in a personified form. I'd like to put it to you that the time in the Aramos, the time in the wilderness, is a time where we confront evil, where we confront evil. Now, sometime in the 4th century, uh, Christianity was legalized by the Roman Empire. And in that time, the followers of Jesus were not necessarily battling with persecution and martyrdom anymore, but they were battling with another kind of evil, and that is compromise and apathy seeping into a church and what gave birth to what we commonly understand to be nominal or cultural kind of Christianity. And then there was a move of the Spirit that uh, led men and women uh, into the desert to flee the cities and go into the desert to pursue a life of prayer, of sacrifice, of committed community. And that is what we know to be the desert fathers and mothers and what gave room and gave birth to the monastic movement or the monastic order. Now, many would agree that the climate of the 4th century, that of widespread compromise and the threat of chaos, is really similar to what we have today. Now, it provokes me to think that maybe God in His Spirit, through His Spirit, is beckoning us to a deeper life, just as He did then, in a climate of compromise and of chaos round the corner, maybe God is beckoning us into a life of prayer, into a deeper life, just as he did in the 4th century. But you see, for the desert fathers, they did not go into the desert, they did not leave the cities in order to flee from the devil, to flee from the evils and the delusions of the world. No, they went into the desert to fight, to fight evil. There was a saying that many of them saw what they did uh, as as a way of living into what Jesus did, where Jesus was led into the wilderness to fight the devil. They saw it as a fight. They saw it as a setting apart of their lives of themselves to confront evil. And they had a saying that they withdrew from the world for the world. Now, we all know that this evil that we're talking about isn't just something that we face externally in, in the sense of the evil that we experience around us, but we know that the evil that we're talking about, the evil that we are to confront, is often an evil that is within us. And I found that in my time alone, in the time where I'm isolated, in the time where I have a lot of quiet, a lot of space, it's often the, the time where my deeper sins and temptations begin to rise to the surface, where I no longer have the noise and the clutter uh, of my schedule of digital distraction to pull my attention away. It is when I am quiet and alone, that is when the evil that is within me, within me begins to creep into the surface. Gerald May, a psychologist and spiritual director, writes about four kinds of sin that plague the human condition. The first one he calls gross sins, and this means stuff like murder, adultery, stealing, things that are sins, clear-cut. And the next thing is conscious sins, 
And these are sins that are socially acceptable, meaning stuff like gossiping, drinking, the occasional white lie is things that is culturally acceptable and we come to think of it as normal and okay, but it contradicts the way of Jesus. And the next kind of sin is unconscious sins. And here we move from sins of commission to sins of omission. That means uh, choosing to disobey God's word, God's voice in our lives and to uh, perhaps do the right thing but with the wrong kind of motivation. And the last kind of sin that he, he, that he says plagues the human condi- condition is the sin of attachments or trust structures. Now these are things that we put our trust in for a happy life that are not in the name of Jesus. And we commonly know these things to be idols or some would call an emotional programming for happiness. And here's what Gerald has to say about these attachments. In a spiritual sense, the objects of our attachments and addictions become idols. We cling to things, people, beliefs, and behaviors, not because we love them, but because we are terrified of losing them. The classic spiritual term for this compulsive condition is attachment. Each of us has countless attachments. We are attached to our daily routines, our environments, our relationships, and of course, our possessions. We want to be free compassionate and happy, but in the face of our attachments, we are clinging, grasping, and fearfully self-absorbed. This is the root of our trouble. Now, I'd like to say this, that so much of the anger and the sadness that we feel right now is caused by really the, the losing or more likely the potential of losing something that we are really attached to, something that we love or we think that we need to feel okay, happy, safe and at peace and it could be a routine some form of indulgence a habit or the ability to do something and it's sad but it's so true to say that the best kind of teacher is loss the best teacher is loss it's losing something not gaining something that often drives us to learn and grow here's the opportunity when an attachment is stripped away in this time it is an opportunity for us to discover some of these trust structures, but also for us to not perhaps cling back to that same attachment, but to attach ourselves in a deeper way to Christ. C.S. Lewis says this, that pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And this time when we're experiencing the pain of loss of some of our schedules, our habits, our trust structures, perhaps it is a time for us to bury in deeper into intimacy with God. Let me read to you another passage of scripture about Jesus and the Aramos. Matthew chapter 26, verse 36, it says this, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Now, I love in this story that Jesus demonstrates what is needed in the time of grief, right? In a time where he is in despair, in a time where he is fearful of his, uh, of his coming death, he demonstrates what is really needed in times of grief. He calls his closest friends to him. These close friends, relationships uh, with uh, people in the community of Jesus, he calls them close to him, but he also retreats into a place 
of solitude into a place of prayer. Now, Gethsemane is not kind of a wilderness, it's more like a beautiful garden, but in many ways, it is an aramos. It is a place of solitude, of quiet, of alone. Now, we read in the text that as Jesus goes into this place, he begins to process his emotions before God. Jesus deals with his emotions and pain, all of the awkwardness, the fears, the insecurity. He goes right into the thick of it and he brings it to the Father. Why? Because Jesus is emotionally healthy. He is emotionally mature. And in this beautiful exchange, we see Jesus give to God his Father his emotions, expresses his honest desires, and in that place of brokenness and vulnerability, he finds trust and assurance. In the Aramos, we get to be honest with our emotions. In the Aramos, we, like Jesus, slow down enough such that all our emotions, perhaps we have chucked aside or have distracted ourselves out of it or suppressed, we find them all coming up to the surface. It catches up with us. It might be feelings of fear, anxiety, grief, lament, sorrow, self-pity, anger, perhaps at the loss of a schedule, or perhaps with people who don't call to check in, or disagreeing with certain decisions, or loneliness, feeling that you're all alone in the universe. Very real emotions. But what if we saw our emotions, positive or negative, as invitations for us to meet with God? Now, all of us are on some level battling with some sense of grief right now, aren't we, right? Uh, I saw a writer put that we live in a time where it's going to be divided with, by BC and AC, you know, before Corona and after Corona. We have not even begun to fully grasp what the AC world is going to be like. And we're feeling a number of different griefs, aren't we? You know, we feel like the world has changed. Uh, we know this is temporary, but it doesn't feel that way. And we realize things are going to be different, right? The loss of normalcy, the fear of the economic toll, the loss of connection. This is hitting us hard and we are all grieving collectively. And we're not used to this sense of collective grief that is in the air around us. N.T. Wright, this intellectual giant, writes this about our time, this time that we are currently living in. He says this, Rationalists want explanations. Romantics want to be given a sign of relief. But perhaps what we need more than either is to recover the biblical tradition of lament. Lament is what happens when people ask why and don't get an answer. Now look to the Psalms, this book that was used for liturgy, for prayer and for worship, and it is full of lament. Psalm 6 says this, Be gracious to me, Lord, for I am languishing. Psalm 10, Why do you stand far, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in my time of trouble? Psalm 13, How long, O Lord, how long will you forget me forever? And Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And all the more that Psalm is terrifying because Jesus himself quoted it in his agony on the cross as he experienced grief lost in a sense of separation from the Father, Jesus quoted the psalm, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus lamented. My favorite books comes from the author C.S. Lewis, and Lewis wrote uh, beloved classics like the Chronicles of Narnia, Mere Christianity. But one of the books maybe is a bit lesser known is a book called 
uh, the screw tape letters. Now, this book is a series of fictional letters written uh, from the perspective of a senior demon named Screwtape to his nephew, junior demon uh, named uh, Wormwood. Uh, and, and it is a series of letters back and forth as they plot the demise of mankind. Screwtape writes, Sooner or later, he withdraws, meaning God. If not in fact, at least from their conscious experience, all those supports and incentives. He leaves the creature, meaning us, to stand up on its own legs, to carry out from the will alone duties which have lost all relish. It is during this throw period, much more than during the peak periods, that it is growing into the sort of creature he wants it to be. The prayers offered in this state of dryness are those which please him best. We cannot tempt to virtue as we do to vice. He wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand. And if only the will to walk is really there, he is pleased even more with their stumbles. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and yet still obeys. Powerful statement. In a time of grief, pain and struggle, it is the enemy's intent for you to give up, for you to abandon your faith. But what a line. He asks why he has been forsaken and yet he still, still obeys. What well, is important for us to maintain positivity, gratitude, and see the silver lining in this time and hope in God, it's also important for us to acknowledge these painful, negative emotions and allow God to meet us in the midst of our pain. Now, personally, I do not like online church. I am extremely grateful for the technology, the option for those who utilize it well, but I miss being with you. I miss being with my people. I do not like preaching to a camera. No offense, camera guy who is recording this right now. It is not my jam. I, I miss seeing your faces, uh, some of you responding, some of you dozing off in my messages. I miss hearing your laughs uh, to my attempts at joking. I miss pre-service prayer. I miss huddling up with our uh, fellow volunteers with our hands in the middle and yelling, build this city in an awkward manner. I miss all those things. And I miss being with you. And I'm sure you do too. But until then, you know, I, I lament. I'm, I feel such pain in my heart that, that we, we aren't together. And it, it's terrible. Until then, you know, I, I lament. I'm honest my emotions. And it's in this place of pain, of vulnerability that, that I meet God and experience His assurance, His peace. And I invite you to do the same for all the pain that you're facing in your life right now, sense of loss, this unpredictability that's all around us. Maybe you've had to make some tough decisions already. Maybe you so fear the future. In this pain, won't you invite God in? Won't you meet with Him in this time and experience His love and embrace? This is what happens in the Oremos. The last point, reading from Mark chapter 1, verse 35, says this about Jesus. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, 
left the house and went off to a solitary place, the Aramos, where he prayed Simon and his companions went to look for him. And they found him. They exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And then Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled through Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. I'd like to put it to you that the Aramos is a place where we meet with God. And we know in this text that Jesus goes out very early in the morning and we don't know what happened there in that place of prayer. We don't know what Jesus prayed. We don't know what God said. But we do know that Jesus left the Aramos. He left that solitary place with a sense of vision and almost driven with a divine purpose. And he goes into the nearby villages, preaches the gospel and he traveled all through Galilee preaching and driving out demons. He met God in such a powerful way that it left him uh, charged up with a sense of divine purpose, vision, and calling. And in the end, the main reason why we go to the quiet, yes, you know, it's a place for us to process our emotions. Yes, it's a place for us to confront evil. But the main reason why we go into the Aramos and embrace this isolation, this solitude, is for us to meet with God. Now, I think of the story of Elijah in the Bible. I'm wrapping up shortly. It was coming off a high point in 1 Kings chapter 18, right? He defeated the prophets of Baal. He called down fire. He was at the high point. And in 1 Kings chapter 19, the story shifts in a drastic manner. Elijah was now paranoid, anxious, depressed, and suicidal. He was running from, for his life from Jezebel. And it says this in the text in 1 Kings. Kings chapter 19, verse 11, it says this about Elijah. The Lord said to Elijah, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Now when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And I love that, that there was so much activity going around. There was a fire, there was an earthquake, there was a wind, but God was not in any of that. God was in the gentle whisper. And I wonder how many times in our lives we miss the voice of God because of all the noise, distraction and activity we have embraced. And perhaps in this time, it is a season for all of us to be invited into a place of quiet to meet with God, the Ramos. Now, the church, as I mentioned earlier, has been looking different for the last few weeks, right? Churches or church services, the way we set it up to be, has always been known to be loud, celebratory, and very communal. There's a ton of people, and we love that. But church today looks drastically different. Church, look, church, church looks quiet. It looks isolated. It looks like we're alone. There's not much going on. And honestly, it's, it's, sometimes it, it feels painful and sad because we miss that communal gathering. But perhaps this is a time for us to experience God in a different medium, the Aramos. It's quiet. It's painful. It's lamenting. It's an individual, solitary, lonely experience. But I believe this is where God wants to meet us in this time. I'll close off with a story. Martin Luther King Jr., not to be confused with the German Reformation guy Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr., civil rights activist, 
Uh, if you know his story well, you would know that the 27th of January 1956 was a pivotal date for Martin Luther. Now, uh, this was a month uh, after he was uh, elected to run the Montgomery Improvement Association, and this was formed in response to Rosa Parks' arrest. Now, on January 26, King was arrested and jailed for supposedly driving 30 miles per hour in a 25 miles per hour zone. And the next day after his release, he received another round of anonymous, threatening phone calls, threatening the lives of his family members, threatening his own lives, threatening to come into his house. And he tried to sleep that night, but he couldn't. And so he returned to his kitchen table to make a cup of coffee and confront his mounting anxiety and fear. Now, King recalls this event in a sermon given almost a decade later. He says this, And I bowed down over that cup of coffee, and I will never forget it. I prayed a prayer, and I prayed out loud that night. I said, Lord, I am down here trying to do what's right, but Lord, I must confess that I am weak now. I am faltering. I am losing my courage. Then, in a moment of clarity, he experienced the voice of God. It says this, And it seemed at that moment I could hear an inner voice say to me, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness, stand up for justice, stand up for truth, and lo, I will be with you even until the end of the world. There was a turning point in Luther's life and he launched what we commonly now know as the civil rights movement. Now, the story strikes me in many ways, but it struck me that Luther had this divine epiphany in a moment of quiet, in a moment of prayer, in a moment where he confronted his, his anxiety, in a posture of quiet prayer. Now, it, it, it strikes me in this story in many ways because I, I, I often wonder, what if Martin Luther did not step into that posture of quiet? What if he cho chose to distract himself out of those anxious feelings? What if he had an iPhone? What if he had an iPhone and he just mindlessly scrolled through Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram? What if he distracted himself in that moment and chose not to bear into the quiet to confront his anxieties and fear? what we have the civil rights movement today. I wonder for all of us how, much, how many God moments we are missing out on because we choose to stay away from the quiet and we choose to distract ourselves into a kind of spiritual oblivion. Maybe God is waiting for you. Maybe your next encounter with Him is in the quiet. Not so much in a room packed full of people, not so much with a band on the stage, but in this place of isolation, of solitude, where we are alone, scared and fearful, anxious, with the unpredictability of the future, maybe this is the time, this is the moment, this is an invitation for us to meet with God. Now one says this as a final quote, We have indeed to fashion our own desert, our own Ramos, where we can withdraw every day, to shake off our compulsions and dwell in the gentle healing presence of our Lord. Without such a desert, we will lose our own soul while preaching the gospel to others. But such, with such a spiritual abode, we will increasingly become conformed to Him in whose name we minister. I want to invite you in this week to, just like you know, in the words of Nawan, to fashion your own desert, to fashion your own times of quiet, your own aremos, to deliberately set time aside in your schedule, in your, in your day, to be in the quiet, to meet with God. In those moments, you know, to allow the Spirit of God to breathe on you, 
to surface some of these deep things that perhaps you have left undealt over time. And this could be emotions, grief, lament, anger, sadness that perhaps you've picked up because of this season. But it could be emotions like offense that you have not dealt with and they've kept buried over a long time. And the spirit may, may surface some deep-seated trust structures that you've embraced over time, the evil that is within you that you have not dealt with. It could be certain habitual sins or attachments or idols that you might have picked up through life and allow the spirit to do its work. Or the spirit might just draw you into a, just a place of intimacy to experience him, to experience his love, his comfort, his peace, his joy in this time allow the Spirit to meet with you in a place of quiet. There's an invitation here in this time of isolation, this time where we're almost forced into a wilderness experience. I believe that the Holy Spirit is doing something. There is something profound that He wants to take us into as a people. My prayer is for you to lean into it, to lean into this deep work of the Spirit, to not move past it too quickly, but to lay hold of this unique opportunity they've been given to be in quiet, to be in isolation, to meet with God. Let me pray for you even as we close. Father, we thank you for this divine invitation. Lord, we thank you that you are in this season, that you are in the midst of us. That Lord, we, we, we have experienced you in the service. We've experienced you in the midst of crowds. We've experienced you in the midst of people, of loud music. But God, we, we sense that you're beckoning us into a place where we experience you in a quiet, in a place of deep trust and surrender. And God, we pray that when we lean into this deep work, that we will experience your grace, your mercy, your kindness. God, we thank you for this invitation into a deeper life in you, into a greater sense of intimacy. And God, we say as your people that we respond to your invitation. Lord, we yearn to meet with you. Spirit of God, we give you room to speak to us, to minister to us, to lead us and guide us. We lift all things to your name. In your name we pray. Amen.